What's up? It's Laura. So, there are no specific trigger warnings for this episode, but just a general reminder, this show isn't for kids. But we only say that so that all the witch babies out there will know how cool they are. What's up, you cool witch baby? Wilt thou tell her this, thou witch baby? Hey look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. It's a How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. Are you excited for what's going to happen in two days? Like, listeners can be listening to this whenever, but in two days from now, it'll be 2-22-2022. I was completely unaware of that fact, um, yeah, but now I am excited. <laughs> and it'll be Tuesday. Like, it's a big deal. Wow. Yeah. Tuesday. Oh, man. That Talk incredible. about a Tuesday if I've ever heard one, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible because there's not going to be like a 333-33 unless we start adding days to the months. We should just start saving up days now and then... Well, we should just change the whole... It's not the Mayan calendar. It's the whatever calendar. The Gregorian? So then we can have 333-33. Yes. yes. I was going to say Algonquin and I was like, I know that's not right. <laughs> I just wanted to say it. Um, I think it's wild that, like, at the beginning of this month, I saw you physically. Right. And now we're already at the end, and it feels like no time has passed at all, but all the time has passed. I know. I feel like this month is a longer one. A longer February. Yeah. Which is funny, because, you know, February is the shortest month of the whole year. Of the whole Gregorian year. (laughs) Yep. Um... But how are we celebrating? I guess not really celebrating. What what did we read this month for the we book? We read um, the classic uh, love story, The Scarlet Letter, A Romance by Nathaniel Hawthorne. A romance. Romance, if you would. <laughs> Have you ever read this or ever? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. Uh, same here. I never had to. Um, I watched Easy A, and I was like, mm-hmm. that's all I need to know, I guess. I was about to say that. I was like, you know, I know about the... I know all of my knowledge came from Easy A. Yeah. And we're just going to... We're moving on. Anyway, so tell me a little bit about Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, so he was born in 1804, and he is in the Romantic era, both a romance writer and the Romantic writer. And for reference... Other Romantic era writers are Edgar Allan Poe, Emerson, mm. uh, Thoreau, and as well as Frankenstein um, by Mary something something. Right, Mary Shelley. I have a lot of facts from his Wikipedia page that I want to share with you and with the listeners. Um, first of all, so he's got some um, interesting ancestors. They actually had a lot of positions of power, and one of them oversaw some of the Salem witch trials. Uh, and when Nathaniel was in his 20s, he actually changed the spelling of his name to what it is now with the W. Before that, uh, it was spelled with just H-A-T-H and then the rest of it. Um, and it's speculated on this article that he did that to distance himself from those ancestors. He was actually neighbors with Ralph Waldo Emerson um, at one point. So being from the romance area, I still don't really understand. Like, you kind of explained it when we did mm-hmm. Frankenstein, but it's basically like you write about nature and you use flowery language but it doesn't necessarily have to be about romance. Right, the romance part is not like uh, 
like attraction and that type of stuff. And it's much more introspective. Um, a lot of prose about the like human like human emotions and things like that. And that's my under- that's my high school understanding of it. It does also note in this Wikipedia article that this is actually the third fact that he is actually in particular kind of a flavor of romanticism called dark romanticism. Oh. Which uh, is writing that tends to, you know, focus on guilt and sin and like those qualities of humans. Oh, that um, that definitely reads. That tracks. Oh, yep, that tracks. Uh, so that's my author fact. Yeah, he... Uh, Your three-part author fact showing me up. I only have one book fact, but... Yeah, it was a long, long Wikipedia article. <laughs> All right, but yeah, hit me with that book fact. Book it, please. The Scarlet Letter was one of the first mass-produced books in America, which I... Mm. Found surprising because the books that we've read in the past, a lot of them have been banned books. And I'm like, yeah. is th- why isn't... I guess my question is, I know we're like jumping way ahead, but I was just like, I'm having trouble placing this book mm-hmm. in a timeline of American history sure. where I'm like, why was this book ever banned? And it doesn't look like it, it has been. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that just because it's so steeped in, as you said, dark romanticism and I'm like... Christianity and mm-hmm. everything that they're like, oh, there's no problem here. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like there have been plenty of other books where you're like, why is this being banned? And they're like, well, they talked about kissing in one scene. So I'm a little dubious. I'm a little skeptical. Sure. Especially with its what it tends to comment on. We don't want to put the cart before the horse. No. That's how that goes, right? I We don't want to something it up. Yeah. Don't something it up. <laughs> anyway, so so before we something anything up, um, let me just read to you the Goodreads for the book. Yeah. Um, the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne with a W. Set in 17th century Puritan Boston, Massachusetts, during the years 1642 and 1649, it tells the story of Hester Prynne, who conceives a daughter through an affair and will not reveal her lover's identity. The Scarlet Letter A, for adultery, she has to wear on her clothes along with her public shaming is her punishment for her sin and her secrecy. She struggles to create a new life of repentance and dignity. Throughout the book, Hawthorne explores themes of legalism, sin, and guilt. Mm. And blurb. I think that's a better blurb that we've heard. Oh, yeah, especially, you know, snappy, really does, it truly does get at the plot. <laughs> yeah, unlike the trumpet of the swan, yeah. <laughs> which is like nothing. Or unlike the catcher of the rye. <laughs> if I were to go into more detail, which I will, I would say this. Um, so for my summary, first of all, a good, the first 20% of this book is an introduction. And at first I thought it was actually Hawthorne writing an introduction, but no, it's a fake, narr- a fictional narrator who is acting as if he discovered the story of the Scarlet Letter. and he, But he talks about his life for way too long. He talks about um, his job in the customs house. He talks about the people he works with. And he talks about how we actually found the physical Scarlet Letter in a box somewhere. Um, and then he's like, all right, and I'll, I'm about to tell you the story as best as I could find it. But, you know, I had to make up some stuff along the way or something like that. Um, so that's... A good, keeps talking forever. That's the first fifth of the book. And then we finally get into the story. All righty. So finally, when we open, um, Hester has to stand on this um, scaffold. Scaffold. Yes. This this sin place. She's in the sin bin. 
um, with her newborn baby because she has committed adultery. Um, so this is part of her punishment is that she has to stand up and be shamed by the town uh, and wear the scarlet letter A on her chest for the rest of her life. Her husband, Robert Chillingsworth, uh, shows up in the crowd and this is the first he's learning of this, um, what has transpired, and he signals to her that uh, you should bums the word and not tell anybody. <laughs> he visits her in prison under the guise of being a doctor, which he kind of is, I guess. Um, he swears her to secrecy because he wants to take revenge on whoever did this to him. And so she swears to never tell him his identity. Once she's out of prison, Hester lives with her daughter Pearl um, as an outcast of society. No one really like tries to run them out of town, but they don't really treat them well either. Um, and Pearl is a very precocious child of nature. There's a lot of passages of her hanging out in the woods, and uh, and she also just calls people out all the time. She like she's feisty. Yeah, she's this kind of voice of uh, what do you call it? Judgment. Yeah, voice of judgment um, to everybody she encounters. Meanwhile, Arthur Dimsdale, a local minister, um, he's the pride of the town. Everybody loves him and thinks he is just so great. But he starts to become very, very sickly. So since Robert Chillingsworth is a doctor, they start to live together. Uh, but Arthur kind of just starts to get worse um, and very emotionally unwell. And he clutches his hand to his chest all the time. So Hester... Honestly, that's so dramatic. It is. He's very dramatic. He's just like, Ugh! <laughs> Oh my god. Um, so Hester, uh, she notices this and she realizes she has to do something because... Dun, dun, dun. She had the baby with Arthur Dinsdale. So first she tells Robert Schlangsworth, hey, I'm going to go tell him your real identity. And I don't, nothing really comes of that conversation. But then she sits Arthur down in the middle of the woods and they have this whole like discussion. Like this is the first time they've talked since everything happened. And they agree that they're going to run away uh, with Pearl and they're going to sail on a boat and go back to Europe and be happy and stuff. Uh, but first, they have to uh, stick around for the big town celebration on Election Day. And that's when it all just goes to shit. Because, first mm -hmm. of all, Robert Chillingsworth found out what boat they were going to leave on. And he bought passes on the boat, too. So Hester's like, oh, shit. But then Arthur Dimsdale, um, he's in some kind of mood because he gives a very, very emphatic speech. And then kind of withers away. Everybody's like, oh, my God, what happened to him? And then he reveals to the whole town that Hester and him had Pearl just like screams it and gets on top of the scaffold and then he dies. Uh, and it was revealed that he also had the letter A burned into his chest. So then Robert Chillingsworth is like, well, that's a bummer. Like now I can't take revenge. And then he dies shortly after as well, like months later. Pearl and Hester move away because Robert left his inheritance to Pearl and Pearl, I guess, lives happily ever after. They don't really know, but Hester eventually moves back to the town and lives in the same house, uh, just being an outcast, but also offering advice to anybody who's in the same position as her. And she wears a scarlet letter for the rest of her life. The end. Hooray! I'm glad it wasn't a frame story and that we did not go back to the narrator again at the end. He like he kind of got a little he like had some commentary, but it was quick and short and ended. <laughs> okay, so well like Let's just go straight into unanswered questions. Please. <laughs> what would the, how would this book change if you just took out the entire introductory section? Because I will tell you, it would be infinitely better. Yeah, it has to go. There's no point. When we first started this book, I think I sent you a text and I was like, I'm listening to it. And I've re-listened to the introduction. Like, I've restarted this book, like, three or four times because yeah. I keep trying to listen to this introduction 
but I don't care and I don't know what's going on and I want this to end and be done now. But then once you get past the introduction and the actual story begins, it is not that bad. You're right. like, oh, okay. I can actually follow this story. There's like, it follows Freytag's pyramid. I could like, it's got a clear, straightforward mm. narrative and it's not just one guy using like six $10 words to describe a house, which yes. is not necessary and doesn't matter. Right. I think for a romantic era writer, it clips along. Like, it's a lot faster than Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I know we that, haven't yeah. read it for the podcast, but it goes a lot faster than anything that Thoreau writes. And it's interesting and um, engaging the whole way through after you get through the introduction. I forgot the other point of reference that I had for The Scarlet Letter What is a line from... It's a rap by Childish Gambino. Okay. Off the top of my head, it goes something along the lines of A on my chest like adultery, Alvin... Theodore, breathe in, breathe out, me and more. But let me (laughs) see what the actual lyrics are. Here's the actual line. That A on my chest like adultery. That A on my chest put your fist up. That A on my chest like a chipmunk. Alvin, Theodore, breathe in, breathe out, me and more. Okay, cool. So I also knew about... It's also referenced in Childish Gambino's song. Yeah. Um, you know where this is also referenced? Where? Love Story by Taylor Swift. It's true. Who's from a year of life was a scarlet letter. Juliet. Too bad she didn't be like, um, and my dad he said, stay away from Hester Prane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my god! I love Can you imagine like Taylor Swift trying to fit in all of these, all the <laughs> names of people from the Scarlet Letter, like you know, yeah. and then Arthur, Arthur Dimsdale, Dimsdale, and then <laughs> Robert Chillingsworth. <laughs> okay, something else that I thought was funny was just like when Hester is out on the scaffold for the first time, and she looks out and she sees her husband, and you, like you said, the husband gives the mums the word motion he's like like he's like he goes total undercover boss and he's just like no one knows me so he turns to the person next to him and he's like so what about uh what's going what on about here? Mr. Prince's husband and then they're just like oh well he's probably a great guy and then Chillingsworth is like yeah he probably is super awesome like well because so the situation is that they Hester and him had gotten married um, and I guess it was kind of weird, like their circumstances of their marrying, I guess, weren't clear. Um, but then they were that was in Europe. And then he sent Hester ahead to New England, but then like didn't come over for a really long time. And there are reasons for that. He said he got like captured by, um, well, Native Americans. That's not the word they yes. use, but um, that is not the word they use. No. But and like all these things. And so he literally had just arrived to the town at the moment of her going up on the scaffolding. So he's also kind of like, why is my wife up there with a the baby? <laughs> But then, yeah, he's very quick to form this plan of revenge. Yeah, I was just like, do y'all even love each other? <laughs> but <laughs> I have a lot of questions, and I'm going to list some of them, but I only want us to focus on a few. Okay, just fire off. Okay. Why does Hester swear to keep Robert's identity secret? Does she think she owes him something, or is she just, she just not give a shit at that point? Why does she tell Robert that she's going to reveal his identity to Arthur? That seems unnecessary. Just do it. I hate this line. I why did Arthur Dimsdale actually literally ask Hester, "Please think for me." I like everyone, I and, and even Pearl. Like I was not a fan of Pearl. Like mm-hmm. I think they're all just like Hester Prynne. Will you suffer for me? And you're like, no. Like <laughs> no. <laughs> Arthur Dimsdale's just like you know, I can't reveal myself. Think about what it would do to my reputation. And Hester Prynne's like, uh, my reputation is in the toilet. Yeah. So I don't really care. <laughs> it's been flushed down the pipes. <laughs> 
Well, there's a point where Hester Prynne takes off the letter A, mm-hmm. and then her freaking daughter is just like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Put the A back on. Wear your shame. And you're like, you dumb little kid. Like, oh, I, know. You. I know she's like precocious and like mm, just quirky. And she's mm-hmm. like, I call it how I see it. But I'm like, you're a little fart bag sometimes. <laughs> oh, like, okay. She just makes it infinitely more harder for Hester to just like live in the world. So. I, okay, wait, more questions. Keep going. Okay. Why would Arthur call her out in the front of the whole town at the end? Because they're literally about to leave town, but he's just like, Hester, Pearl, come to me. Uh, so he just reveals them. And they had not discussed this. She did not get consent for him to reveal this. I don't understand. He's a trash. Who's the protagonist here? Because I feel like it's Hester, but then Arthur gets a lot of time and a lot of sway. And would the two of them have been happy if they'd really succeeded in running away? I don't think so. I don't think that they're good for each other. And then I do want to discuss this further. What does Pearl represent? Like, why is she this, like, little fairy pixie creature? There's so much in the text about her, like, commuting with nature. And, like, it isn't, I'm not going to go as far as anthropomorphized, but it kind of creates nature as this character that engages with her. Um, yeah. Apart from humanity. Like, what do you think is the purpose of that? And why does she just, like, yeah, call everybody out and, like, make everything difficult? There's probably literature for this, but she's kind of this cosmic voice, right? Like, she's saying the truth. She's, like, pointing out very, like, logical stuff for the readers. But in the world, it doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? Like, how so? Okay. So there's, okay, there's this weird scene where Arthur, he's walking around in the dark and he goes up on the scaffold because it's implied. Uh, also, by the way, it's never stated explicitly that Hester and Arthur committed the adultery together. It's always, like, just implied. So Arthur's walking in the dark, and he goes up on the scaffold, and he's clutching his chest. He's having a moment. He's just being really overcome with his emotions. And for some reason, everybody else in town is also walking around in the dark because Robert Chillingsworth comes by, like, the governor or something. No, the governor died, and, like, his sister came by, I think. And then Hester and um, Pearl also came by. So he calls out to them, has them stand on the scaffold with him. Um, And he's, like... I don't know. There's this weird conversation because he's just um, feeling so horrible. But there's a moment where he asks Pearl a question and then she whispers to him, but she just mumbles like gibberish to him. And he says, (laughs) (laughs) she just burps into his ear. Um, (laughs) He says, dost thou mock me now? And she says, thou wast not bold. That was not true, answered the child. That was not promised to take my hand and mother's hand tomorrow noontide. That's just like the first example I could find. But she's, you know, kind of alluding to the truth that we as the readers know. Um, but the characters, for some reason, are not, you know, like really can't comprehend that. So she's this like kind of, I don't know. She's seen as this otherworldly presence. Really, she does not seem like a real child. Like, she doesn't act like a child, except when she dances on a grave. That's kind of <laughs> That was kind of weird. <laughs> well, she's constantly referred to as, like, a demon child. Yeah. Or, um, I mean, a witch baby. Yeah. Or all this stuff. So I feel like she was just born in the wrong, you know, time period. She's mm-hmm. just ahead of the curve. But I guess I was wondering mm-hmm. more, like, what is Pearl doing here? Like, what is her purpose in this novel? Is it just to create trouble, like you said? Or is it, like... To kind of offer like another layer of like awareness <laughs> because she clearly is given these lines that show that she can see or at least intuit a bit more of what's going on than she's given credit for. Like I said, I have trouble placing this in the context of like when it was published mm-hmm. and the time period that it's talking about and then also through the lens of today mm-hmm. because obviously today we're just like, yeah, religion is kind of whack and inherently mm-hmm. sexist and like, yeah very much not 
<clears throat> in favor of women and like right. later on Miss Hibbins or whatever, mm-hmm. like who's taunting Hester Prynne this entire time. Yeah. She like dies and gets burned at the stake because everyone thinks she's a witch. Mm-hmm. So I think I was having trouble understanding what Nathaniel Hawthorne like I have doubts that Nathaniel Hawthorne is like teaching us mm-hmm. to be feminists. Maybe he is, but like I just have my doubts because I'm like, oh, old white man from mm-hmm. you know the sure. Well, there is discussion that was on the Wikipedia page because also Hester has mm-hmm. that passage where she's talking about how women are treated differently um, in than men in society, but she says she's not going to be like the prophetess or whatever that's going to change it. It has to be someone else. So I think he is like very aware of. Um, mm. The difference is like how, uh, uh, just how Hester, you know, by just by the nature of the fact that she had Pearl and like she was pregnant and everything, like she had to suffer um, much more publicly than Arthur did. Um, yeah. Do you think this book is like pro or against um, religion and like this Puritan? I attitude? know. See, that's what I was also wondering mm-hmm. because the, um, in the very first chapter there is like this comment about how in like in this town and in this like puritan community and like they say the word puritan a lot law and religion are seen as the same like one and the same so like they live by the bible and like committing adultery is like not only a sin it's against the law and so there is mm-hmm. like um like legal punishment for that yeah well and like again in the goodreads blurb it talks about Hawthorne explores themes of legalism, sin, and guilt. So, the idea of separation of church and state and all that. Mm -hmm. But I was also wondering that because, like, part of me is thinking, like, is this guy really being critical Mm -hmm. of something? Because that just seems like ahead of his time. But if he is, that's great. No offense. I mean, I support separation of church and state. And so that's why I was kind of surprised. And, again, that's why I have a hard time, like, placing it. Because in my head I would think just, like, making assumptions based off of the mm-hmm. author's, like, racial background and I- sexual identity and time that he, like, like the time period that he grew up, I would think that he wouldn't be. I think he would be on board. He'd be like, yeah. But I guess I'm hoping that mm-hmm. I think it, I think that Nathaniel Hawthorne is being critical of yeah. religion, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. And he is saying, like, this is how... Well, like, the main character is someone who commits sin mm-hmm. and then, like, lives the rest of her days out mm-hmm. in this sin. And she's, like, ostracized from society. And I feel like the book is saying, but she still has all these good qualities. She still, like, interacts with these people and has, mm-hmm. like, an impact. So... Yeah. I would say that it's... Pro... Uh, con- like, against... Anti, yeah. Or critical yeah. of. Yeah, I think it's critical of religion. Yeah, for sure. I have one more question. Yeah. What is Dimsdale's horoscope? <laughs> because, okay, I want you to, do you do you think, do you have an idea? Because I have an idea, and I want us to say it together. <laughs> okay, let me think, <laughs> let me think. Um, I also don't know, as you know, I'm, I'm not a total horoscope. Oh, me neither. I just know some of the basics about all of them, but let me look at, let me pull up an image of all the different horoscopes so I can... Yes. Get the full I did uh, extensive, scope, if you will. meticulous research in the past 12 hours on Instagram about <laughs> what the different horoscopes Oh, are like. good. Yeah. Are we doing all of them or just Dimsdale? Just Dimsdale. <laughs> I didn't do meticulous, extensive research for the others. Mm, so you're like, I don't care about everyone. I don't give yeah, a okay. crap. 
Well, I'll I'll give you reads for all of the main characters because I okay. feel like just off the top of my head and not doing it, ex- also not doing extensive research on any of them. Okay, cool. But okay, I'm ready for. Um, wait, let me think. Let's do the other ones and then go to Dimsdale last. Okay. Um, off the top of my head, I think Pearl is a Taurus because okay. mm. Pearl is stubborn. Yes. Um, I think that Chillingsworth. Oh, that's. Chillingsworth, I want to say, is either uh, an Aries, because they're known for being kind of hot-headed and, like, mm-hmm. whatever, or a Capricorn sure. for being social climbers. Kind of, They're often seen as being ruthless. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lean more towards the Capricorn, because he... I wouldn't necessarily say he's hot-headed because he spent seven years in this town where he was... <laughs> yeah, you're right. Where he was he's cuckled, like, he was meticulous. Where he was cuckolded uh, just to, like, try it in oh an act God. of revenge and then didn't achieve it. That's true. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's Capricorn as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> um, Hester Prynne... I mean, part of me wants to say a Scorpio because Scorpios are known for being, like, sex monkeys. Like, they're just, like, super... <laughs> Like, but obviously she feels super guilty about that. So, no. So I would say either a Scorpio just for the fact of being a sex monkey yeah. or an Aquarius because Aquariuses mm-hmm. tend to be super detached and they're yes. just like, mm, like, no. Sure. <laughs> like, I agree with that. I'm a disassociate right now. So <laughs> I kind of get that. Bye. Um, okay. Is there anyone else? I think we should just. The main... Okay. Are we on Dimsdale now? Yeah. Okay, I'm okay. ready. Ready on the count of three. One, okay. two, three. Cancer. Oh. <laughs> okay, let me cite my sources and give you my Yes, okay. and give me your extensive research. Sure, okay. Co-star Astrology. This post about fell out of love because for Pisces, it says they're addicted to creating turmoil in their life. <laughs> oh, that's true as fuck. And another co-star post overanalyzing Pisces, the love declarations they made last night after a glass of wine. And then, yeah. And then, and then, costarastrology.com. Pisces traits, somehow both five and 50 years old at once. Thinks everything is a sign. Can't remember if they dreamt it or it actually happened. Excessively romantic, prone to fantasy, no boundaries. Oh my gosh. Describing a Pisces personality can be difficult because Pisces tend to evade distinction. The behavior changes significantly based on who they're around. Pisces are just permeable membranes that pensively let things. <laughs> Let things flow around them. Although, flow through them. And then, uh, one more. One more. Okay. This is called Cosmopolitan.com. <laughs> oh, great. The the trusted source of Cosmo.com. Yeah. Um, okay. Pisces traits. Typical, typical traits of a Pisces. They are empathetic, mystical, romantic, impressionable, imaginative, pleasure-seeking, can I tell you what I know about the negative stereotypes of Pisces? Right. Okay. Manipulative as hell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Which is like similar to like Capricorns, but Capricorns are like like ruthlessly manipulative and Pisces are like emotionally manipulative. Like they'll right. like in stereotypes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In stereotypes. This is not listen, I'm not I don't I know come tons for us, of Pisces please. in my life. <laughs> yeah, please. Pisces do not come for me. Yeah. So and then Further on Cosmopolitan's um, article. So the zodiac sign is both secretive and expansive, magical and worldly, soulful and joyful. Pisces are worldly, wise old souls. Mm. So um, that's my evidence. I think he's a Pisces because he is so dramatic and he feels things oh, in a that, big no. way. 
Um, Your sources he, are spot on. Right, but he's really not in tune with the world around him. Um, I totally see that. Like, I think, because I don't know much about Pisces, again, like, the one thing that I know as the negative stereotype mm-hmm. of Pisces is that they're just manipulative. So... I originally went with cancer because cancer's mm. the stereotype is that you're super sensitive yeah. and that you kind of make everything about you and you like, that's just the general thing. Mm-hmm. So looking at the co-star astrology thing that you were looking off of for like mm-hmm. fell out of love because for cancer is you weren't ready to exchange vows after the second date. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> ready to yeah, father a no. freaking child y'all. So, mm, and then overanalyzing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a cancer, whether their thrifted pants were once owned by a dead person. I mean, that's hard <laughs> <Okay>. because <laughs> oh, I don't man. know. I, I'm having trouble connecting that to the context of the times, Fair but right. I I can see why Pisces would fit. Like yeah. especially with all again the sources the sources mm-hmm. you so meticulously collected. Yeah, like I see you. it. Uh, a runner up for me was Gemini. Two faced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you have a secret. Well, okay, but, okay. Again, my understanding of Gemini's, Mm two-faced bitches. That's what they're known to be. (laughs) I think that we had a good, really good academic discussion about the profile of Arthur Dimsdale. Me too. And I think we should be, like, I think Sagittarius's are known for being judgmental. Yeah. So why don't we be like Sagittarius's and go into the intended takeaways and judgments? Hey! I think there's a lot to discuss in this book. I'm going to try to boil it down to like three things. Okay, I think a major theme is um, there's like this tie together between spirituality and physical health. There's obviously the big thing about um, religion and law and right versus wrong and punishment and purification and like as opposed to sin. I also have a note here that says Pearl, eco-terrorist. I don't really remember <laughs> what that means, but... <laughs> but listen, it's been said, it's been noted, and we all... And it can never be unsaid. Yeah. I think she's a very much a trope character, and I don't... Like, I don't... Like I said, I don't totally know what's going on with her thematically, but like I said, she speaks the truth when, like, she shouldn't exactly be able to. Um, Do you think she's, like, an audience surrogate? Kind of. Or not even an audience surrogate. I think she, she's passing down, like, judgment a lot of the time. Uh, it's kind of like in Shakespeare plays when there's like the fool or like the jester and the jester is kind of allowed to say stuff that's more outlandish or more critical because they like, yeah, there's the social pretense of him being like, you know, a jokester. Uh, I feel like that's kind of similar to what's going on with Pearl here is that she's saying these things that are like really judgmental and are getting at the truth. But like they dismiss her because of her so like her status as like a kid and as like a weird pixie de- demon child. <laughs> Well, no, I, I mean, I think the purpose of this, of why this was taught was more like to look at the literary devices and like mm-hmm. its role in romantic, in the romantic era. Yeah. Rather than it is like the story itself, I think it's more of an example of like, this is a type of literature rather than the story itself. Like, I don't. And like, this is what a symbol is. Yeah. Because there's tons of symbolism in it. But I think that at least in schools, like they were teaching it more for its literary significance rather than like. That's interesting. I, th- I think in mine. English classes, we did push a bit more of the, like, the morals discussions, like, Great Gatsby in, like, 1984, um, which I think they were taught in AP Lit, so maybe it's an AP thing, but we had discussions as a class about, like, whether it was ever okay to cheat on a partner, (laughs) which is, like, very intense stuff. So when I say punishment and sin and everything, I think, so if you compare Hester and Arthur, I think they are very interesting because, as I said earlier, as a woman, Hester 
um, suffered a lot more publicly. She had to go up on the scaffold with her baby. She has to wear the A. They will always like treat her differently because of that. Whereas Arthur, he's suffering a lot internally because Hester says like, well, you're still like doing good in the community. Like you still can like, um, you can still operate in like, in the in society and everything. And he's like, yeah, but um, they don't know that I'm a bad person, so that doesn't none of that counts. Um, and so he he thinks it would be better to like say it all publicly and get it out the way except he doesn't do that until the end well um, okay this is kind of going back into unanswered questions yeah. but i do have a question do you think this is a feminist text i think i kind of venture to say yes um i think that uh i also think that it is like i feel like i i feel like uh, just when I think about it real quick, I'm like, mm-hmm. I think it's a feminist text. But then I'm like, am I being tricked? Is it not? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like, I do think because the protagonist is Hester Prynne yeah. and it's her dealing with all these, um, like, trials and tribulations mm-hmm. based on this inciting incident. I think, I and just the fact that um, she is given, she is given a lot more weight. She gives a, a lot more agency. Um, like, she mm-hmm. makes things happen in this story. And um, a lot of the, like, the thinking time in the book is her, you know, like, her considering mm-hmm. her position in society. Um, you could argue that there are some um, drawbacks because her her choices to, her the way she chooses to deal with it is to kind of just, like, you know, take all the stuff that people throw at her. Um, yeah. You know, to just deal with it and to, like, get by, uh, which is, I mean, it's a survival move. No, I think it's actually a good, it's a, it's a reasonable choice. And there was a moment where they... Someone questioned why she didn't just leave, but um, that was, like, their home. Like, they were like, we're not going to leave. <laughs> yeah, and I think that within the context of, like, the time period mm-hmm. um, where Hester Prynne works with the agency that she does have, which is not much, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, she's like, I'm not going to be driven out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm still going to, and I'm going to help be held accountable for my actions. Sometimes, like, too much accountability, but yeah. as a feminist... We're like, hey, you make those choices that are best for you. Mm-hmm. I do kind of see the other side, though, because the point of the book is not necessarily that Hester's being punished for this deed and Arthur's not, and sh- therefore she shouldn't be and we should throw it all away. That's kind of what EZA was kind of getting at. So it's, it's not like saying, let's dismantle this whole system and gender construction no. and everything. Yeah. But it just, I don't know, it does give Hester a lot of room to move as a character. Um, um, I do think it's interesting... Because, so the other theme I mentioned were spirituality affecting physical health and physical appearance. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, it affects both of them. Like, Arthur is very sickly because he's feeling all this guilt that he can't let go of. Um, mm-hmm. And Hester is in, like, it describes her as very muted and, like, looking older when... Um, Sun won't shine on her. Yeah, like, when she has the A on. But when she takes the A off and when Arthur has his moments of feeling better, like, when he's giving speeches and stuff, they are described mm-hmm. differently. Like, when... Arthur is, like, looking back to his, like, regular self. It describes him as, like, divine and, like, you know, just so, like, energetic and, like, overall healthy. Whereas with Hester... Yeah, doesn't look like he is jaundiced. Yeah. Whereas with Hester, it kind of speaks more to her attractiveness because it talks about how her hair is more lustrous and her Mm. skin is more, like, I don't know, luminous when she takes the A off and it goes away when she puts it back on. So there is a bit of nuance there because I think as a woman, like, yeah, you're evaluated more on whether you're looking like you went to the spa or something. Conventionally beautiful or not. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with Arthur, it doesn't say like, oh, now he's handsome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to move into ratings? Yeah. 
Um, out of ten, what would you rate this, Laura? Um, okay, with the introduction, <laughs> like a six. Oh my gosh, a six. Without the introduction, I give it an eight. Interesting. Well, yeah. I gave it a seven. Okay. Um, and. I mean, I was not even considering the introduction. I honestly, yeah, if you read this, <laughs> fucking skip that introduction. Please. Like, just take it away. No Don't, point. it's not gonna, it doesn't add anything. Uh. Um, but I think for me, what I really liked about it was to, it read to me as a thriller horror mm-hmm. vibe. Even though there's this romance and, and it is the romantic era and it's dark romance and blah, blah, blah. But like, if I saw this as a movie, I, it's like so sinister so I think that's what, like, piqued my interest. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very well constructed. Like, the pacing is not bad once you get past the introduction. Um, <laughs> and I like that. So with a lot of the romantic texts we've read, um, a, a trap is that they get very philosophical. And while that may be interesting, it's usually one character thinking or one narrator writing a bunch of ideas out. But in this one, I think that there is a good amount of, like, interaction between characters. Like, Robert mm-hmm. Chillingsworth and Arthur Dimsdale, they get into discussions about, like, secret and sin and, like, whether it's better to take your sin to the grave with you or to, like, li- get punished for it while you live. Um, like, that's interesting. It's much better than one person thinking about it all alone. Um, and Hester has those moments. Yeah. Right? And I think it is clever, I think, that for Hawthorne to leave out, like, them ever stating what happened, like, stating necessarily that they were lovers. I, I guess maybe, I don't think they never say it, but you, as the reader, have to come to that conclusion on your own. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think they don't ever say it, but then, like, you're just like, well, they're meeting a lot, and they're talking about the kids, so yeah. it's, like, never clearly stated. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, yeah, don't come for us if, if they actually <laughs> yeah. do, and we just forgot. Yeah, but I think at one point, like, in the forest, at least, Hester says, like, oh, like, I love you, or him. something like that, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's not like, oh, we committed adultery together seven years ago. We, I think, yeah, I think that's, it's a strong point of the novel, I would say. I was, yeah, I was surprised because I was not expecting to rate this as highly as I did, especially because it is from the romantic era and Ugh. no offense, but Frankenstein did me dirty. That yeah. one was like so freaking long. Oh man. And, like, I didn't know what was going on. Ugh. But do you want to move into our book talk? Yeah. Laura, what would you like to recommend in lieu or in tandem? Sure. Um, the Scarlet Letter. Yeah, simultaneously, please read The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Um, kind of going mm. along with... So Hester's not literally a witch, but um, the protagonist in this one is. Uh, but yeah, it's both of them, I think, are united by um, women who do things that society deems as like unusual or sinful or um, outrageous, and then like, vilifying them for it. What about you? Um, I would, I'm also going, going along with this theme of a woman is being punished for her actions and kind of is the center, like you follow not only when the sin is committed, but then afterwards and dealing with the Mm -hmm. consequences. So I'm recommending Circe by Madeline Miller, which is retelling of the Greek myth about the witch Circe from the Odyssey. And rather than, you know, in the Odyssey, which is following that other guy whose name I don't know and I don't care, um, <laughs> it follows this woman. Odysseus? Is it? I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I, listen. I don't know. I'm not knowledgeable and I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but Laura, what are you currently reading? Currently reading, uh, I'm currently in the middle of The Bone Ships by R.J. Barker, Modern Love, um, 
True Stories of Love, Loss, and Redemption by Daniel Jones. Pim by Matt same. Johnson. And The Invasion by K.A. Applegate. Also same, yeah. Mm, nice. Well, the only difference is, so I'm also doing Modern Love and then Animorphs. And then I'm reading Inside Story by Dara Marks. Um, and that's a textbook for class. It's interesting, but nice. you know. What have you read since last time? Since last time, I finished Food by Jim Gaffigan. Mm-hmm. I listened to Richard the Third by William Shakespeare, and then read the adaptation of Richard the uh, Third, a play called Teenage Dick by Mike Liu. I would mm-hmm. recommend that. It's funny. Baltimore by Kirsten Greenridge, which is a play. Um, no More Homework by John Henderson, which is also a play. And then In the Dreamhouse by Carmen Maria Machado. Nice. Which... I would recommend, but, like, get ready to just be freaking sad. Yeah. Because it's intense, and it is about, like, LGBTQ abuse, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's heavy stuff, but it's good, but it's sad. But yeah. it's good, but it's sad and heavy. What about you, Laura? Since last time, I finished Split Tooth by Tanya Tagak. Um, and then, then okay, I dropped everything, every reading <laughs> I was ever doing, because... Uh, the Percy Jackson series is going to be adapted to a TV series on Disney Plus. Um, mm-hmm. So I proceeded to freak the heck out. Um, I read, I'm not going to list every one, but I read the whole Percy Jackson first series, um, all five books in one week. You know. Um, as Including the Demigod Files, the first one. Uh, I also read oh gosh. Heroes of Olympus, The Last Hero, Son of Neptune, and last night I finished Mark of Athena. So I have two more left to go. I'm going to cry. And then I have to read The Trials of Apollo. <laughs> No other reading is going to get done. Whatever. But in the middle of I'm that... I'm going to cry. And that's all I've done besides The Scarlet Letter. Those, those are the only books I've finished since our last recording. Uh, so that's why I was just so on it with Cersei. I'm just like, oh my god. Uh, it's very exciting. But it's funny because, like, you know, they just greenlit the show. We're not going to get it for, like, two years. And then, like, I'm not going to get... We're not going to get to the end of the series for, like, another ten years. Because I think they said that each season will cover oh a gosh. book. Oh my god! I know. I'm like that. That's great. I think that makes you're like sense. I already started this journey, but I guess I'll wait. That makes sense, but it's gonna take forever. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's wild. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us on the second episode of season three yeah we're hashtag grateful um yeah thanks for spending your february listening to this romantic romantic story double romance actually lots of love yeah (laughs) (laughs) um if you are interested in connecting with us we have an email and we have a twitter so email us at reading not reading at gmail.com spelled r-e-a-d-i-n-g n-o-t R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. Tweet us at rednotreadpod, which is at sign R-E-A-D-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-P-O-D. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet, motherfucker. <laughs> um, also, I have something else. I talked to a lawyer recently because um, oh. my school offers free... Will writing? Uh no. <laughs> yes, I talked to Laura about my will, and I want everyone to know. No. Um, they're, like, free free legal services, and so I talked to them about a project that I'm doing. I need 
to know about like copyright things okay. but then i did ask about our name and i was like hey is this cool and they're like no you're definitely gonna have to change your name so sorry guys we really tried to it's oh. here on season three that when we thought we were being so sneaky with the different pronunciation yeah. but no we're de- definitely straight up if we ever pop off yeah we about to get sued so we got to think of a different name okay. but anyways um if you would like to support us Mm -hmm. um and then also support local independent bookstores yeah you can use our affiliate our affiliate links to our bookshop Mm -hmm. tell them about it laura yeah bookshop.org is a website um where you can buy books (laughs) and yep yeah but it's shop but when you make purchases there, they support independent bookstores um, across the country. And if you use our affiliate link, you also support our podcast uh, with your purchases, with uh, with commissions and stuff like that. So if you're interested, please um, go to our affiliate link in the show notes and shop to your heart's content. Yeah. And then lastly, in our show notes, you'll also find a link to our website where you can listen to any of our back catalog. Also the link to Bookshop and also our Twitter um and it's just a all-around cool place yeah for sure and uh you can start searching for some bonus content we are running oh yeah yeah we're we're doing a little parallel uh project with this podcast where we're currently reading animorphs by katie applegate other than that you can join us next episode next month when we read reread of mice of men by john steinbeck woohoo So I hope you all have a good month or whatever this is for you. Or whatever. Woo!